Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Last week in episode 21, we looked at five ways to get hired as an associate trainer. Now, as I said at the time, an associate trainer is a trainer who works on contract on behalf of another training company. So, if you will, that person, you or I, could be considered an external resource. We're a part of the faculty of a team of trainers. But if you look at the situation from the perspective of the training company or a training company, you are an associate, you're not an employee. So you may have qualified to be part of the pool of trainers, but you could be sitting on the bench, if you will, for a number of weeks or even months or sometimes a year, in my experience, before you get paid work. So when the work does come in, how do you keep the work coming? This is the question we're answering in today's episode. And the question is again, how do I keep on getting work from a training company? This is episode 22 of the podcast. Let's get down to business. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Welcome. This is the show for training business owners around the world. And around this time in every single episode, every week, I say the same thing. The goal of the show is to help you to learn more, to earn more, and to grow your training business. Now, as I said before the music, today's question is as follows. How do I keep on getting work from a training company? Now, in my personal experience, I've gone through a rigorous process to be hired to become one of the trainers of several training companies. And the system varies or the process varies. In one case, um, it's been a telephone interview followed by a face-to-face interview. In other cases, it's gone further with a demonstration, perhaps via video or Skype, uh, followed by a train-the-trainer or trainer intake bootcamp, where I'm alongside other trainers vying to be part of that company's pool of trainers. But sometimes um, no work has come in for a year or several months. So it took a while for me to learn how to actually make myself more valuable. And this is really what the goal of today's episode is. So we're going to look at five things together to consider And these are less about actual sequential steps. They're more about tactics and the habits and behaviors that you need to focus on to be able to make yourself that more, much more high profile or more valuable to the training company. Because when you think about it, there could be a number of other trainers in the pool, which is quite normal. So it's really a case of competition. How do you stand out? How do you make yourself the kind of trainer who who is asked uh, to do more work, who's given more work. And I'm basing this on five excerpts from my free ebook entitled 21 Tips to Succeed as a Freelance Trainer. So we're going to go through five tips today. Feel free to grab a pen and paper right now. And if you want to at any point, pause the podcast and go back and listen again. So I'm going to list the five things we'll talk about and then I'm going to go through them one by one. Are you ready? Okay. The first one is make it easy. 
That's number one. Number two, join the sales team. Number three, produce content. Number four, keep expenses low. And five, be on brand. One more time. Number one, make it easy. Number two, join the sales team. Number three, produce content. Number four, keep expenses low. And number five, be on brand. Let's look at the first one first, which is always a good place to start. Number one, make it easy. Remember last week I talked about the importance of stepping into the shoes of the person making decisions. Well, the last thing that anyone organizing training work for you, it could be a training coordinator or a faculty manager, the last thing that that person wants is to have to work with the trainer who makes their life difficult. Um, so perhaps in the course of a normal working relationship, tensions will arise. And they do. That's normal. Perhaps you don't submit training reports in a way that's easy for someone in the training company to process. And I have to put my hand up here. I haven't always done what I've promised, and that's cost me. So I've learned now to make promises carefully so that if I make anything uh, in terms of a promise in a professional capacity, that I keep that. Maybe there are things, other things where, you know, you or someone else has been slow in returning expense claims. So all of these things kind of add up. The fact is that you need to establish a great working relationship with the person who allocates you work because you need them more than they need you. Let's imagine for a moment that you're one of many training consultants in the pool or faculty of a successful training business. The training coordinator is probably extremely busy and up to her or his eyeballs scheduling trainers, planning workshops, organizing venues, sending out invitations to delegates, booking flights, paying hotels, ordering supplies, phoning clients, texting delegates who haven't turned up, uh, maybe collating receipts from trainers like you and me, photocopying evaluation forms, and much, much more. In fact, some training coordinators do more than one job. They might also be the, the accounts person, the receptionist, the marketing person, the person who answers the phone, and the sales person all rolled into one. So, one of the last things that this person wants to have to do is to chase trainers for their invoices or resend a trainer the, the list of delegates because the trainers lost it for the third time or email you or someone else requesting evaluation forms which were promised but never delivered. Because if you keep in mind that you're a, probably a well-paid training consultant, um, who maybe bills anywhere between $1,000 to $1,500 for a day's work, this can create just a teeny weeny bit of resentment if the person handling your invoices doesn't get anywhere near this much money in a whole week or longer and has to spend their time, which they simply don't have, fixing your mistakes and reminding you of the things you promised to do but didn't do. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can see you nodding. Even if I can't see you, I can see you nodding. So even if the training coordinator is not the person hiring you, this kind of thing is the thing that causes problems. So even if you're a great trainer, making it difficult for someone to hire you, to work with you, that's going to have consequences for you. Remember 
that the training coordinator or anyone else who runs the training administration sits in an office where you don't sit. And sometimes they sit within earshot of the company leadership. In other words, if you're making the life of the training coordinator more difficult than it already is, the CEO or the operations director usually gets to hear about this and they won't appreciate this. Do this too often and you might just get an unwelcome phone call or email from the person who signs your checks or decides they're not going to sign your checks anymore. So the rule is make it easy to do business with you. And this holds true when you have your own training clients. This is completely in your control and within my control. So once again, make it easy to do business with you. And my pro tip here is to send an unsolicited thank you note now and again, not to ask for work, but to thank the training company sincerely for the business you have been given. And hardly anyone does this anymore. Okay, number two, join the sales team. A great tip here to help you to be much more valuable as a trainer. And this is really what today's all about, okay? You are not just a trainer. You're a valuable member of a sales team. Do you understand? When I'm delivering training, I sometimes ask the delegates present, even if it's a leadership program or something else unrelated to sales, I'll say, hands up, who here is in sales? Now, not everyone puts their hands up, but I tell them anyway, we are all in sales. The training business is very competitive. Any kind of business is competitive. So even if your area is accountancy or some kind of line management or retail management or some kind of marketing, we're actually all in sales. So when you're a trainer and you're in your client's training room, in other words, you're in front of the people who pay to come on their courses, you're a trainer for the day, it's your job to represent your training company or their training company in a sales capacity. So let's imagine that you're a delegate. Um, The last thing you want to hear is someone just talk about uh, the training material. Uh, You probably want to hear about other courses that the training company delivers. If you're the trainer delivering that training program, it's your job to serve up this information to delegates by pointing out to them the other training programs which might benefit them. Um, In 2018, last year, when I was delivering an interview skills training course on behalf of a reasonably well-known training company, the CEO dropped into the classroom just as the delegates were leaving. She did an excellent job of promoting a program. Now, she could have delegated this task to her sales team, whom I know personally, but she decided to do this herself. She rolled up her sleeves and she sold the program to the people with passion. I was extremely impressed. When the delegates asked questions about this program, she was able to answer them as well as any of her sales team because she, even as a CEO, even as someone who doesn't actually train actively, she clearly understands that sales is the lifeblood of every training business. You don't sell, you don't eat. It is that simple. Everyone is in sales. So when you're training on behalf of another training company or on behalf of your own training company, you're also in sales. It takes a lot of work to get in front of qualified prospects in order to sell those prospects the right training programs. 
So when you're in a room full of people looking at you about to start a day's training or ending a day's training, they are there to be told or converted to other training programs. There are always people interested in the next course or the next stage or something else that the training company does. So it's your job to actually give this information. I guarantee you that most people in the room will never have seen the training company's website or blog. I would also wager money that most of the other trainers who work on behalf of a training company don't know what's on the training company's website either. But you're the exception, right? Yes, you are the salesperson and you have the training company's best interests at heart. So take the time to familiarize yourself with the literature and the contents of every program and the website of any training program, sorry, any training company that you work for. So you're able to sell those programs and answer any questions. I'm not talking about you doing the job of a salesperson, but you should be competent and knowledgeable about the materials that someone in the classroom is likely to come across or might ask you about. So if you're speaking to a a training company's customers, uh, which are your delegates, and she or he decides to invest in an additional program, the CEO of the training company may well think of offering you the opportunity to deliver the course if it's within your capability and if you've delivered or developed a strong relationship with the people in that particular group. So show her or him that you're interested in helping her or him to sell company training programs. At the very least, you'll have made yourself just that little bit more valuable as a contractor. If you're selling someone else's training courses, there could be commission in this for you. Very nice. So remember that it's in your interest to sell training programs and services. Adopt the mentality of a passionate, interested, informed salesperson because you're not just a trainer. We are all in sales. And this is great practice for the future when you will want to sell your own training programs. My training pro tip here is introduce yourself personally to members of the training company's sales team and or to the owner personally and ask how can you help to direct any interested clients to the right people and then go about familiarizing yourself with the content which allows you to answer those questions should they come up. Okay? Right. Number three is to produce content for the training company. Because as I've said before, um, a training company needs to stand out in the marketplace. It's a competitive business. So a training business needs to have credible, knowledgeable consultants, associate trainers and coaches and so on, on its books, in its team, in its faculty, the kinds of people who are worth charging out at $1,500 to $5,000 per day. But how does a training company justify charging that much money for someone whom the client may never have met or even heard of? Someone like you or someone like me. Think of it this way. If someone recommended a professional to you, for example, an attorney, an accountant, you would at the very least want to be sure that they're worth the money that they're charging, wouldn't you? Whom have they worked with? What kind of work have they done in the past? What have clients said about them? Have they written any books? What is their expertise? And how can you be sure they're experts at all? 
And these are just some of the questions you may ask. Ultimately, subject matter experts, trainers, consultants, the people who know what they're talking about should have no problem demonstrating their expertise in their chosen area, particularly in the form of blogging or writing books or articles or even creating videos. It's tantamount to free advertising and is essential proof that they are experts in the fields in which they claim to be passionate. So in order to separate themselves from the competition, the very best training consultants make a point of delivering or developing verifiable expertise in a subject or a niche area within that subject and then communicating regularly that expertise to their audience. I was asked only last week by the CEO of a training company to write a 500-word article on the subject of cold calling. So I did. It took me three hours to plan, to draft, to write, to rewrite, uh, and then to submit that article. But that article has my name on it now. It's my intellectual property, and people will see it. Google and other search engines prioritize websites which have frequently refreshed content, which is shared and linked to by credible sources. And this is really valuable for a training company which gives you work. Maybe you have a view on ways to speed up the training of new salespeople so that they're more productive more quickly. Great. That's worth hearing about. So, write something about that. Maybe your model for leadership training would be of particular value to retail sector clients of the training company. And that's very useful too. People do read properly promoted articles, and this can lead to very interesting discussions showcasing you as an expert in your field, which may in turn lead to more work with the training company. If you create publishable content for a training company which gives you work, the people who hire you will be grateful to you for a number of reasons. Firstly, many companies or most training companies, in my experience, have websites. Well, they should do these days. And they also have blogs uh, or pages with the word blog written on them. But many of them don't have enough content on them regularly to actually take advantage of the algorithm which Google uses to find valuable content. So the embarrassment of having a company blog with few or no blog posts is only surpassed by the annoyance of having to write all the blog articles by yourself. It's, it's really, you know, it's onerous, it's hard work because so many people who work with training companies as trainers, as training consultants ever, ever voluntarily develop content for the training company's blog. And it's it's obvious that it should be done. Someone has to do it. And it usually falls to the overburdened training coordinator uh, to write the company blog posts as if they haven't enough to do already. So the fact that you're going to take this task or partly take this task off their hands and reduce their workload makes you look better, makes you more valuable because you're the person whose content is being read by the prospective clients, customers of the training company. And the fact that you've gone out of your way to prove your expertise makes you more valuable and therefore more noticeable by the people who give you work. Do you get the idea? It's a win-win. They get content and you get to advertise your expertise at no cost to you. So my pro tip here is look at the training company's blog and get a feel for the kinds of topics featured 
and then make a list of the subjects which showcase your training area of expertise and then produce content within that area of expertise, whether it's written and or video. Okay. Right. Number four, this one is very important and it's a kind of a, let's call it a paradigm shift. Um, you know, it's very easy when we're trainers to focus on ourselves, you know, give us work here. I want work. I'm here. What about me? Hello. Hello. Here I am. Give me work. Um, but we don't remember the fact that we're actually a cost. Um, hiring us, onboarding us, training us, developing us, um, giving us work is a cost. You might be a really good trainer, but you are nonetheless a cost. It costs money to interview you, to onboard you, to promote you. And if you work through a training company as a trainer, I have news for you. From the moment you start to work with the training company, they're thinking about how they can make money from you. And this is the way it should be. And they have to because they're running a business. This is a training business. This is a training business podcast. If a training business doesn't make a profit, they may as well close the doors. It's that simple. So how can you help your client to stay open? Well, for starters, you can help them keep their costs down. I have to put my hand up at this point and admit that um, on on many occasions, particularly when I was a, a much younger trainer, I was maybe a little bit too zealous or enthusiastic in submitting receipts for coffees, even whilst entertaining representatives of the client, or for taxis, even whilst traveling to the venue, and for other sundry items such as laundry, you know, when traveling on a three-week trip to, let's say, the Middle East. But the thing is, it all adds up. All of this stuff from multiple trainers adds up to a huge bill for a training company. And I did make those mistakes in my early days. And once I received, one time I received a call from the owner of a training company who was fuming. Who did I think I was? He kept his expenses low. Why couldn't I? And he was absolutely right. And that's another mistake I never made again. So ask yourself, when you're making an expense, whether you would expense an item, if you were the owner of the company, would you be happy to see it on a training consultant's invoice if you were writing the check? If the answer to that question is no, then don't invoice it. The rule is to treat other people's money as if it were your own. Inquire whether something's acceptable as an expense. Even if it is, you should still keep such all expenses to a minimum. And I've seen this with my own eyes. Really good trainers be not blacklisted, but somehow left in the wilderness and not given work because they're just the kind of people who expense every single thing and all things being equal, it's more cost-effective to hire someone else. So in your career, you will work with a range of clients who between them have very differing perspectives on what constitutes a legitimate uh, billable expense. As a rule, the companies which splash out and pay any old kind of expense to every trainer tend to be those which go out of business. On the other hand, the companies which are parsimonious or overly you know, zealous in terms of saving money, they tend to lose their quality trainers. So it's, it's a kind of a double-edged sword. There's a happy medium between being profligate with other people's money and, on the other hand, being asked to reach into your own pocket to pay a reasonably incurred uh, training expense in the course of a training project. So keep in mind at all times that 
when you are submitting your expenses, you're actually adding to the cost of that training business. So if you are running your own training projects and hiring your own trainers, um, you could create a video or some kind of written expense policy up front so everyone gets the same message. This is what's acceptable and this is what cannot be expensed. Um, so if you feel that the training expenses policy is unfair, and sometimes that might be the case, be prepared to negotiate the expenses policy if you feel that you can make a good case for an exception. But it's a matter of personal judgment. It's also a matter of reading the policy. If you're unsure, it's always better to lift the phone and speak to the accounts person rather than to submit an inaccurate invoice or and shall we say it, um, an excessively demanding invoice. And believe me, these are all the kinds of things that make you much more hireable when you show courtesy and regard for other people's profits. So my tip here is put yourself in the shoes of the company owner or CEO and ask yourself, would she or he charge something like this? It's better to underuse your allowances rather than to spend to the limit if two trainers are experienced, available, and competent equally, all things being equal, the work will always go to the trainer who costs less. It's as simple as that. And lastly, number five today, it's another very important uh, thing to keep in mind, and that is to be on brand. It's important that you sound and act at all times like you're part of the training business. In other words, you act like an employee when you're dealing with the training company's clients. You never act like you're just some independent freelance training consultant. That's a private arrangement that you have with the training company. The client does not need to know this. For one year, I'm thinking of my experience, uh, a while ago I worked as an associate trainer and consultant with a mid-sized training company in London in the UK, and I learned very much with them. I learned a lot from particular people. And they were very clear about their brand. Whenever anyone joined the company, they were made very clear uh, about how to answer the phone, about how to write emails, um, how to position social media, the kind of language to use. And all of this worked for them. And when I saw their posts on Twitter or on Facebook, the message, the language was always consistent. And this same company always ensured that anyone who came in to represent them as freelance trainers uh, always used the company name throughout the training. In short, um, they liked their people to be on brand at all times. And the same training company brought all its trainers through a training audition as well as a thorough train-the-trainer development day before those trainers ever saw the inside of a client's, a client's offices. And I'm thinking again of this particular company. Um, the training development day entailed having every prospective trainer stand up and present a mini training session in front of their peers. Now, although my training session was technically flawless, and this is what the CEO told me afterwards, he said he was quite disappointed that I'd not used the company name even once. And as a result, he felt I was not on brand. On brand. And he was right. So after that, I made sure that I mentioned the company message at least five times a day 
during training sessions. I used the same message when talking to full-time company employees. I used company messaging in all communication with both the company and with its external clients. And very soon I felt like one of the full-time team. I found myself using we when referring to the company in conversation. And of course, this was music to the CEO's ears because having spent years and thousands, if not millions, in developing a reputation in the marketplace, a training company is justifiably fastidious and particular about whom they hire to represent them. Yes, I'm talking to you. And they want and need people who look and sound like they're from the mothership. They want people who don't say them, they say we. When they're talking about the company, we. They're talking about it as if they're part of it, as if they are all about that company. If the company's trainers, meaning you, if you're now one of them, then use particular terms or language. You should learn those terms and speak that language as well. If the company wants its trainers to dress a particular way, more about that in a different episode, you need to make sure that you dress that way as well. You walk the talk and you talk and walk. However you manage it, you need to satisfy the company that you understand their values and you've taken them to heart. And this is what comes across when you're with their clients because you're a professional training consultant and this is what you will do. If you hire trainers to work on your project, similarly in your own training business, you also would want to ensure they're on brand. So if you're working with your own direct clients eventually, and many trainers will at some point do that, you should also make a habit of developing your branding and messaging and then adopting a habit of using it in every single situation. So you could ask yourself questions like, one, what do you say when you answer the phone? Two, how do you introduce your brand when you meet someone new? That's your elevator pitch, by the way. Uh, which key messages do you want prospects to go away with? What language uh, do you consistently use to describe your training or your coaching services? What do you write or insert in the footer of your emails? And which language and imagery need to be consistent across your platforms online? And my pro tip here is, when auditioning as a freelance trainer, on the day you turn up, speak and sound as if you're already part of the team. Say we, say our when you speak of the company, its products and or services or people. Think of yourself as if you're one of the team already and not an outside independence, uh, independent freelance contractor. Does that make sense? So again, there are five tips to help you to make the right impression and to make yourself valuable and knowledgeable and to develop a kind of, shall we say, an aura or a reputation within the company that gives you work, that you're the kind of person to whom they could and should give work because you deserve it and you have the company's best interests at heart at all times. This is one of the things to do to be a valuable freelance contractor. No one wants to work with people who make their lives difficult or cost them money or don't do anything to promote the brand of the company which gives them work or, you know, represents themselves rather than the company they're working for. So there are five tips just from me. That's all for today. I hope you found this useful and you will take this to heart because it really is important that you take this to heart. Don't just listen to the podcast. Begin to implement these things and see if this makes a difference to you. Thank you once again for taking the time out to listen to the show. 
And as I ask you every episode end uh, each week, please make sure you, that you subscribe to the show. As trainers, it's a privilege to help others to be the best they can be. So share this privilege with other trainers and leave a rating on iTunes because this helps uh, Nancy and Sam and, and the other guys and the team and myself, of course, to attract the right guests. You can check the podcast out on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, and on Google Play. And I bet you're wondering about next week. Well, next week on episode 23, we have a guest on the show, but you'll just have to tune in next week to find out who that is. So have a great week. Speak to you next time and keep on selling. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.